Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Electrifying AI. Our mission is to provide a venue for clean energy enthusiasts to gain up-to-date insights on the latest developments taking shape in the electricity sector. Along the way, we'll help demystify the connection between the greatest machine ever built, the electric grid, and the greatest enabler of our time, data analytics. To help us do that, we'll have a series of special guests this season who hold a variety of different roles throughout the electricity industry. For today's episode, we're excited to welcome someone with a long track record of leadership, collaboration, and influence within the energy industry. Julia Hamm has served as the president and CEO of SEPA, the Smart Electric Power Alliance since 2004. While the organization's name might have changed in recent years, its mission to facilitate the electric power industry's smart transition to a clean and modern energy future through education, research, standards, and collaboration has remained its core focus. SEPA wants to see a carbon-free energy system by 2050. So how's it going and what will it take to get there? We'll ask Julia that today. But first, Julia, welcome and we'd love to first know about your room. It looks awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, I have worked very hard on the room. I, early on in the pandemic, quickly became obsessed with Room Raider on Twitter. And so, you know, spent the first few weeks of the working from home during the pandemic getting my space cleaned up and ready. And I finally felt like I was ready and I submitted myself, you know, an image of myself uh, to Room Raider. And I was so excited to get a nine out of 10. But then I, of course, became obsessed with like, I need to get a 10 out of 10. So then I spent multiple weeks after that, adding the plants and the light and the SEPA logo behind me and sort of changing was at what was on my bookshelves. And finally felt like I was ready after probably two months, probably took me another two months to get ready to finally resubmit. And I did it. I got the perfect 10 out of 10. I've got my little Impressive. room reader pineapple behind me. So <laughs> it, it it is maybe sadly, possibly the highlight of, of the uh, very unfortunate pandemic for me. <laughs> yes. Yes. So room reader, I, I take it that's a website where you can submit pictures and uh, people, I guess, uh, judge on the quality of the room? Yeah, you know, it's it's not even a website. It's just two people. It's one Canadian and one American. Ah, and okay. I, I don't even know I don't even know what their backstory is, but <laughs> they they normally are rating people who don't usually submit themselves. They're actually typically like rating people who are actually on TV getting interviewed. <laughs> but okay. I think I think people like me sort of start picking up and submitting themselves to get rated. Okay. So it's just fun. They, you know, it's they they rate the rooms, but they also have some entertaining political commentary often that goes along Interesting. with it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, we can definitely take some lessons from you on that. I would love to. <laughs> um, so, Julia, let's uh, dig in. So how how did this become your passion and profession? You know, what how, how did you get involved in the energy space? Well, honestly, it was by accident rather than by design. Um you know, about a year out of college, I applied for a job. Uh, I'm dating myself here, but it was an ad in the Washington Post, literally printed ad mm-hmm. in the physical newspaper that was a couple of sentences at most. So I knew very little about the job I was applying for, other than it was basically, you know, marketed as an entry level marketing position. 
And it turned out that it the position was working for the company that at the time managed SEPA. Uh, SEPA didn't back then in, in the late 90s have its own employees, but it was managed by another company. And so um, ended up taking that position and SEPA was my primary client for a number of years. Mm. And uh just you know, very quickly fell in love with with the energy industry, uh, really with the intersection, obviously between the, the clean energy mm-hmm. space, and yeah, just it's it's become my passion. So it was you know, it's again, it sort of happened by accident rather than design. But <laughs> it's hard to imagine doing anything other than focusing on on the energy industry. Right, and you know, I I gather Julia uh, that you know this is more than just a job for you. Uh, I hear you drive an electric vehicle. Would love to know I more do. about that. And <laughs> yeah. I, I also hear that you have um, uh, solar PV uh, for your home. Uh, so we'd, we'd love to get some thoughts on that as well. But more importantly, Julia, you know, why, why are actions like that important for all of us to consider? Well, you, you know, the great news is with the cost, cost declines we've seen across new technologies, it's so much more affordable for people, regardless of, of, of what income bracket you're in. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really is a great opportunity. Um, so I'll take a, sort of take a step back for a, a moment. Um, the house we lived in before this one was uh, was new construction, but we were not involved in the building. The builder, it was a custom builder. He had built it. It was his first mm. green home. He had put solar and battery storage in the house. And this was back in the mid, you know, 2005, 2006. Wow. So pretty, pretty early on, right? I mean, he, yeah. he was, you know, ahead of his time. And so we we bought the house. And you know, again, I was at SEPA at that time. So it was an, an added bonus for us to be able to purchase a home that already had solar and storage. Um, but it was just such a great... And since then, we've moved and we have built a new house and it does have solar on it as well, but we don't have batteries because... Uh, honestly, where we live, the power almost never goes out. Hmm. But I will tell you, when we were in that first house where the the builder had put the system on, there were a couple of major um, snowstorms actually that had uh, resulted in the power going out, and we were fortunate. We were, you know, the only house in our neighborhood hmm. that had the refrigerator on and had a couple of outlets that were functioning because we had the solar and the batteries. Um, and so, especially as we see increasing extreme weather events as a result of climate change, um, you know, having the ability to be more independent, I think, is very attractive. Um, and there are more and more options for customers, right? I mean, mm-hmm. whether it's working directly with your utility to understand what options your utility has for you as a customer, mm-hmm. or it's working directly with a technology provider, there's just so many options. And same thing with EVs, right? We were a relatively early adopter buying our EV a number of years ago. But it's just so exciting to see the number of models that are now mm-hmm. starting to come out, the commitments that the um, OEM uh, com- car makers have made to transitioning all of their uh, models over time in, in the not very distant future uh, to all be electric is is just so exciting. So, so what electric wheels are you driving? 
<laughs> uh, I have a Tesla Model 3 nice. and I love it. Yeah. Nice. And I'm not, I am not a car person, but I love my car. Yep. And yep. Uh, we will, we will in the, in the hopefully not too distant future be a two EV home. Uh, but we are waiting. My husband very much wants to get either um, uh, an electric truck or some sort of large, rugged, uh, you know, sort of SUV style vehicle. So we're waiting for some of those models to start um, hitting the market. And then we'll we'll get our second EV in here as quickly as we can. Yeah, I hear once you're on EVs, right, it's so hard to get away from them. The acceleration, the entire, you know, just the entire driving experience is is, is very, very different. It is. It's, it's it, it reminds me of a time uh, when Naruk uh, had a meeting back when we used to travel. It's going back to 2019. <laughs> and they um, they actually, uh, as part of the conference, they they had all the, the major electric vehicles uh, bring out their cars yeah. and uh, uh, you could actually test drive them. And I, I, I got to test drive the Audi e-tron, I think it was. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was pretty sweet. But the price was also pretty sweet as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. They, they call those ride and drive events. And actually, yep. ride and drive events have been proven to be one of the most effective ways um, to expose customers mm-hmm. to EVs and really help Absolutely. drive drive sales. Because you're right. Once, once you drive one, it is hard to not... Uh, want one desperately and to go back driving your your old-fashioned car. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So Julia, when, when you think about the year ahead and maybe even the next 30 years ahead, what are some of the big energy issues on your mind? Um, you know, is there, and is there much overlap between them uh, from a short-term and a long-term priority type perspective? Good question. Um, well, so the way we think about things at SEPA is really through three pathways uh, of focus. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we've chosen those three pathways because we, we think that they are critical areas of focus for the industry. And so those are the first one is regulatory and business innovation. And that really is focused on the fact that within the electric utility sector, um, both the way utilities operate and the way the bodies that regulate them operate, you know, investor-owned utilities are a port, just a portion of the utility sector, but but they serve a very large portion of the country. Uh, so the investor-owned utilities are regulated by state public utility mm-hmm. commissions. And so both the way utilities operate with their business model and the way they're regulated by their commissions were designed when the power system was very different, right? When the normal way for things to be done was large central station power plants that produced electricity, and then that del- that electricity flowed one way through a wire to customers. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. But now the system is so much more complex with customers, with all the things we've been talking about, EVs, um, solar on rooftops and other places, and batteries in people's garages, all of these things change the dynamic and really uh, allow a much more important role for customers in this equation. And so we really do need to see increased um, innovation and evolution of utility business models, as well as the way that state regulatory commissions um, operate, both you know in terms of their processes, the practices, the tools that they use, mm-hmm. as well as the actual regulatory construct that um, you know, ultimately drives utilities' decisions. So, so that's that's the first big area of focus for us. Mm-hmm. 
The second is around grid integration. And, and that's just recognizing that, again, with all of these new technologies, we have to evolve how we plan and operate the system. It mm. can't be done the same way it's been done in the past. With these new technologies uh, comes many new opportunities, but we can't do things the same way we've always done them. It can't be the status quo. So there are a number of things that have to happen um, in terms of interoperability for new tech, you know, new technology standards, so that as technologies are coming out, for example, electric vehicle charging, you mm -hmm. know, we need standardization so that those those systems are interoperable at, rather than customized based on each different technology company's own self interest. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there's just this whole series of things in this in this area of grid integration. And one particular piece in the grid integration bucket that relates to the second part of your question about um, sort of the long-term objectives and how do those mesh with some of the short-term issues. One of big focus for us in grid integration is around resilience and mm -hmm. the role that microgrids can play in resilience. So important distinction, you know, people often, even in our own industry, uh, sort of mm -hmm mix up the words reliability and resiliency. Yep. You know, reliability is essentially keeping the power is the keeping the power on, making sure mm -hmm. it doesn't go off. But resilience is how how quickly and how well do you bounce back if it does go off? Or, or how do you, you know how do you manage in in a case where there is an event where the, where the grid has to go down? And so we're spending a lot of time thinking about microgrids, the role of microgrids, mm -hmm. and obviously with recent events in oh, Texas yeah. with the severe snow and ice and cold and and all of the the uh, blackouts that that resulted in it's just yet another example of i think the important role that microgrids can play to make sure that cust that all customers aren't left out in the cold or the dark but there are there are at least some localized areas that can um have power uh, when the larger grid goes down. So that that's one very specific example, mm -hmm. I think, where our long-term focus is very critical to the, to the near term. And then the third big area of focus for SEPA uh, is around electrification. And mm. that is a focus both with tra the transportation sector, uh, but also increasingly starting to think about buildings. So as the country's power supply becomes cleaner and cleaner and cleaner with the additions of more and more renewable energy, it makes sense that we should be looking to transition our transportation system to electricity so that our cars, our trucks, our buses, that all of these vehicles are powered by clean electricity from the grid uh, rather from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So th those are the big areas where we're focused on. Obviously, there's lots of subcategories within all of that. But but those those are really the places where we feel as though, um, you know, in order to get us to this carbon free um, and, you know, while, while our vision is a carbon free energy system, SEPA's uh, day in and day out work is focused on, on helping the electric power sector with the piece that they have to contribute to that energy system decarbonization. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, so that that's what we're up to. So, so Julie, you know, you talked about the electrification piece, which is absolutely, you know, it's it, it's it's growing very very quickly, and there's a lot of interest in there, uh, and it's also very much in line with with the decarbonization mandates that many governments around the world have now. Uh, but separately, there's another major revolution that's also occurring in the space or realm of digitalization. And, you know, I was curious to hear your thoughts on 
What role do you think um, advances in artificial intelligence or machine learning, for instance, uh, may play in the push uh, for this clean, carbon-free energy and economy? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's going to play a critical role. I mean, if you think about, I mentioned earlier, the increase in complexity Mm -hmm. of the electric power system. Um, We have to have digitization and we have to have artificial intelligence to help us manage that increase in complexity. You know, the amount of data that's now being produced, you know, one Mm -hmm. of the big topics that often comes up uh, in a variety of different conversations is, is smart meters, right? We're fortunate that we finally have smart meters deployed in a significant portion of the U.S. That took some time but to get there. But it, took, yeah. it took a really long time to get there. We're still not done. Yep. <laughs> There's still, uh, But we're still not to a place where, where we're yet fully utilizing mm-hmm. all of the capability that the smart meters and the resulting data could provide. And so there, there's continued room for, for advancement there in order to really fully leverage that particular piece of technology, uh, just as one example. But another sort of thread I'll pull on is, you know, as it comes to understanding customers, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked earlier about the fact that, you know, back in the day, you know, you had large central station power plants. They delivered energy to the customer. End of story. Now it's the two-way power flows. We have customers generating their own electricity. Sometimes they're generating for their own use. Sometimes they're generating more than they can use. So they want to export that back to the grid. And one of the real planning uh, challenges in front of us is that Electric utilities, um, and in particular, I'm talking about distribution utilities at this point, distribution utilities need to make investment decisions or typically make investment decisions on a very long time frame, you know, talking about decades, right? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. how do you make decisions about what distribution system upgrades you need to make 20 years from now if you don't know what decisions your customers are going to be making that are going to impact those system needs. And so there is this whole new need for utilities to be able to use historical data and Mm -hmm. forecasts to really try to be able to anticipate customer adoption of technologies so that that can then influence their investment decisions. And ultimately, of course, customers are the one paying for those investments. So it's in customers' best interest Mm -hmm. for that to happen effectively. So the need for utilities to be able to have this whole new level of sophistication about customer segmentation, right? And that's, that really, there's so much that can happen on that front through um, artificial intelligence and other uh, technology of that nature Mm -hmm. um, that just, you know, our own human capabilities, it would take us much longer to get there. So that that's another example. I mean, obviously, we could keep going on and on about right, the, the opportunities right. in the space, but it, it really gets down to the, the increasing complexity of the system really requires um, all of these new sort of data analytics, um, mm-hmm. digitization, in terms of being able to optimize the system. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Julia, the you know there's there's a lot of mandates. There's a lot of investment uh, investor sentiments that are you know really also driving a lot of the um, decarbonization initiatives. And perhaps you know you can call the um, uh, you can call them green initiatives uh, around the world. But from where you sit, how can people trust that all these goals and priorities come with real tangible benefits? And that, you know, this all isn't just greenwashing. Yeah, no, great, great question. And it's something we spend a lot of time on at SEPA, particularly as it relates to electric utilities and their commitments or their targets that they're setting to get to net zero or carbon free. And first, I just want to say, I, I, I believe it's critically important and valuable that they are setting targets, mm-hmm. right? So if you don't know where tra- you're trying to go, you know, you're just, you're never going to get there. Mm. And so setting a target in and of itself is valuable, Mm. but you are right. A target by itself is not enough. Right. And so what we're looking for when utilities and not just utilities, but whatever entity, whether it's a state government or a municipality or a large corporation, when someone's setting a target, what we like to see is that when they publicly announce what that target is, they also have interim goals between now and whatever that end target date is decades out from now. So if my target is carbon free by 2050, you know, we want to see someone say, well, our, you know, our end goal is this by 2050, but we have an interim goal for 2025 or 2030 to get here because Mm. that's much more tangible. And then also accompanying that very specific actions that they're going to take in the near term that are going to lead directly down that path. So whether it is uh, a commitment to we're going to have all of our coal our coal plants closed by X date, and or we will add X megawatts of wind and solar by X date, and or you know so just we really so we're sort of looking for three pieces. We're looking mm-hmm. for the the sort of the long term end goal target, some sort of interim target. As well as tangible action steps um, that are in the near term that are going to get them towards towards that goal. Hmm. So, in a, in, a, on a, in a similar vein, you know, we've also or coming to some recent events now. So, we've been seeing, you know, clean energy and renewables become the subject of some powerful misinformation or disinformation efforts around challenges such as what happened, you know, in Texas um, mm-hmm. the, recently. So what's your what's your perspective on how obstacles like that may affect the push for this carbon-free energy system? And um, perhaps any thoughts on, you know, how, how we may even combat that? Well, th- the good news is I believe we've reached a tipping point. Right. Mm. So I I don't think there is any going back from here. Um, You know, there may be detractors who are successful at slowing things down a bit in, you know, here or there. But as a nation, and honestly, I think as, you know, the majority of the globe, we've reached the tipping point where it is obvious that we're moving in this direction. And um, and it's happening in all levels. Right. It's happening now, thank goodness, at the federal level here in the U.S., but it's been <laughs> happening at the federal level at other, you know, in other parts of the the world for for many years. So it's happening at the federal level. It's been happening at the state level for a long time in the U.S., but we're seeing increasing focus on that. It's happening at the local government level. It's happening at the corporate level. Now it's happening at the utility level. So it's just it. 
you know, it's unfortunate that there remain people who uh, believe we don't need to go that direction. And, and they're going to, you know, obviously put forward their best effort to, to try to slow things down. But we've got the momentum, right? I yeah. mean, especially now with, with the Biden administration being on the same page and and really aggressive, not just on the same page, but really aggressively, you know, moving in that direction is just going to, I think, um, ultimately those detractors are going to be fewer and fewer or at least uh, less and less successful in their efforts. Yes. And I, I think legislation is going to play a major role in that too. And I'm, I, for one, I'm looking forward to some more executive actions coming on, on, on climate change. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll stay tuned for that. Julia, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for your insights and your time. And uh, we're, we're so grateful that we got this opportunity to connect with you today. Oh, thanks for, so much for having me. It's been fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, and we look forward to having you again sometime soon as well. So, so thank you again. Here's a, here's a reminder for our listeners that they can find Julia on Twitter at Julia Ham, and they can learn more about SEPA at SEPAPower.org. That is S-E-P-A power.org. Okay, Julia. So here is one last curveball for you. Oh boy. <laughs> we're, we're building an electrifying AI playlist on Spotify during season two <laughs> and and you get to pick a song so what is oh. that song song going to be oh see this is what you don't know about me i'm horrible <laughs> like i'm horrible at this sort of thing honestly like a really quick story i mean like honestly i was in a car a long car ride once with a friend and it, he was like what are your top 10 songs and i'm like i can't even think of one song <laughs> So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. <laughs> okay. I was going to say there's some bonus points too, if you know, if it includes power or energy or electricity. I somehow. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, the, yeah, you, you hit right in my weak spot with that question. <laughs> well, you know, um, that's, that's, that's fine. Uh, you, so for, for, for our listeners and for Julia now, uh, we would love to hear what song do you want us to include, and you can leave your music suggestions in the comments or tweet them to me at the Electric Sal, and uh, we'd be happy to get that included. We might just include your pick um, and send you some cool electrifying AI swag as well to say thank you. So, folks, that is all for this episode. We'll see you again soon. Be safe, and we'll we'll be back. Thanks. Mm-hmm.